Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Welcome to episode 168 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. I'm Jay Duke. And I'm Zachariah Meisenheimer. And for this first podcast of our roundtable discussions that we're going to bring you, we're going to have a look at some of the things that's been happening since the season wrapped up, Whitecaps-wise and elsewhere in MLS. And we're also going to bring you our fourth annual State of the Whitecaps chat with Carl Robinson. So, kicking things off, there's been a lot of comings and goings already with the Whitecaps. A couple of surprises from players maybe that have been released, a couple not so much. We'll start with the the big name that's been released, Pedro Morales. No big surprise, no no longer here. Just some thoughts as to, to what Pedro maybe brought the team over the last three years and how big a loss is he going to be moving forward? I think he brought a lot of excitement initially. Um, but there's the pinpoint passing, the execution of, of the plays up the court of the field. I, I thought he brought a lot, but it's just for some reason, as the season went along, um, he would just break down. And I, I think maybe it was just he wasn't built to play on turf. Well, first off, he wasn't cut, right? Like his option was not taken. Yeah. And then it was nice for once to see like a public, this guy's not coming back. He can say his farewell, even though he was already not in the city. Um, it was kind of nice to see that. I think, yeah, I think Pedro did provide that yeah, excitement. Um, he was a player we hadn't seen before in the, in the, since, ML, since MLS had started. Essentially. In our city. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, and I think, I think he was, there was great potential there, right? Like if he was able to play at his, uh, at his top level all the time, I think things would have obviously gone quite a bit differently. I think injuries were like, Michael, you know from going to training, but like injuries were a huge issue. I remember going to training session once. I'm like, "What are you? Why are you sitting on the side? What's going on?" Like, "Oh, this, I got this problem with my knee or my my calf or my quad or whatever." Was there was always something that was like keeping him out. Like, like you Rick always knew he. I saw him like he was a regular. He like had who's, yeah, who saw more his wife him, yeah. or Rick Celebrini. <laughs> yeah, he, he he. There was always something that was like hindering him, like holding him back from being his best physically. It felt like, and uh, and yet, I, I think he was unfairly criticized in some quarters for. Uh, I think he tried to fight through that, right? Like he always wanted to play and always wanted to try and contribute, and I think that's uh, something that people forget often. I think now that we can look back on his whole kind of tenure, I, I actually like the type of signing that Pedro Morales was. It was 
Um, it was the right type of signing. A guy playing in a, a league much better than, than the MLS, out of favor with his current coach, but with plenty of technical skill. It's the right type of signing, and it did seem to start well. He provided a lot for us, but it seemed almost like either uh, the system didn't fit him or he didn't fit the system, and and there was no way to, by the end of it, his, you're right, the injuries stacked up. Um, it, it, the the chemistry didn't seem quite right with him in the team, and it, it it he wasn't producing at a level that you need out of a DP playmaker. And the problem is there was he had so many other deficiencies in his in in other areas of his game. You can't just keep him on the club to to spray those sixty yard balls around when when he didn't really defend that well, he didn't get into the box, he didn't score very many goals, he didn't actually make that many great final passes. So given the limitations of the players around him, you, you he's not a player you can afford on the club. I think one of the things is I've looked back on his tenure, I've looked back at the numbers, and his numbers are actually pretty solid, right? Like he played something like 89 league games for us. Had something like 23, 24, 25 goals. How many of those were, were penalties? PKs, yeah, I knew he was going to say that. They're, they're goals. Who cares where, where, if they're from the spot or not? I, I agree, but just to, to say that he's like a, a goal-scoring I never said he was a goal-scoring. I, okay, I yeah. think he contributed yeah, contribute, his contribution. 24, 25 goals and 22 assists. Yeah, and he, that's he was probably a, more important. Yeah. He was an amazing penalty taker, too. Like yes. He was automatic. He missed one his entire yeah. time here, which is fantastic. And when you look at his stats, he also contributed in some of our biggest games which is maybe hard to remember. But if you look at his numbers against our four biggest rivals, he played something like 22 games and had like, uh, I think it was like uh, 10 goals in those 22 games and like eight or nine assists. So like when we played Toronto, Montreal, Seattle, uh, and Portland, he he was usually a huge contributor to our success against those teams. You look at his, even the Voyager's Cup, he played something like seven games. He scored against all four teams we, we played in the Voyager's Cup mm-hmm. and, and contributed. The big, for me, the biggest part is he contributed. If he was here for three years, he contributed to three trophies, two Cascadia Cups, and, of course, probably most importantly, our first Voyager's Cup. No, I agree with that. And I think, the, like you were talking about the system, I think the problem with the, uh, the way the system was, he wasn't durable enough to be uh, play as a number 10 where he was uh, banging up against the center backs in the MLS. He wasn't. He didn't have the endurance to play the box to box, and he was de- wasn't defensive enough to play the holding midfield role. So it, he was almost like he was kind of a jack of all trades, but nothing a master of none. So I think that's that. That kind of hurt him a little. It felt bit. like when he got here and he was seemingly more fit, uh, supposedly tired, but seemingly more fit. That he fit the number ten yeah, better, yeah. and then as because but that that wore down on wore well, down well, after a while. I don't know if that wore down, but I think maybe him not being as fit, not struggling yeah. with different injuries, he, he made like, him less uh, effective in that higher up role. Seems like when opposition teams got physical with him, he kind of backed off, and I, and I, I can understand that because he's not probably used to it or whatever. But that's a, that's what I saw when I was. I, out watching. I have still yet to see uh, um, a string of the time of more than forty five minutes when. Pedro Morales has looked good as a true number ten, yeah. and and for whatever reason it is, I think all a lot of that stuff is true. That you know the physicality, but he also he, how often have you seen him with the ball? Just try and, and along the ground, play a through ball to a player, you know, running into the channel. It very rarely happened. He it, now whether that's by design or whether that's it, I, 
even when he was given, and he was given plenty of opportunities as the number 10, it did not work out. And and it's not just his fault. The, it's a, a lot of the time he'd be standing up there by himself with Hurtado in front of him. And and he's you're you're out of options. He he would so he would and he would never get the ball. So he'd have to come back deep. There was a lot of systemic issues with the with the team. Yeah. That 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 added to it. But he even when he did when things were going well or he did get a stretch as a number ten, it didn't look good for him either. I, I think I think you're one of the things you touched on the other day is yeah as, as how we played and how we performed. I think it was one of the reasons also why he kept on dropping back deep. Because he wanted to be on the ball more, and sometimes he wasn't getting it when he was further up because we weren't providing him any service. We weren't providing him any, any play. And if, I think some of the times it felt like he dropped deep to get on the on the ball, especially early mm-hmm. earlier on. Um, one of the other things I think um, when you think of Pedro Morales that people have talked about uh, in different circles since he's left and even while he was here is, his, is the idea of him as being a captain and what kind of captain he was. And I think uh, when you listen to the different conversations, I think – I think some of them are a little bit, again, unfair. I think there's a bit of um, people are being a little bit ethnocentric. They're, they're, they're seeing what is a captain only in, like, our context here. Where Canadian captain. Canadian captain, North American sports yeah. kind of captain. Uh, I disagree with that. Like, soccer captains have to be vocal on the pitch, and he was not vocal on the pitch. And that's South Americans are not vocal on the pitch. That's what they say. Pedro said that himself. Right, but I think that often in other parts of the world, the captain is your most talented player, is is your best player, and I think you saw, you saw that you saw especially the early part again. You saw the the huge role he played in. All the other players, or many of the other players, looked up to him with a great deal of respect because of his abilities, because of where he'd been, because of what he's done, what he'd done. Especially the younger players, like you look at Marco Bustos, and like how much he. Appreciated Pedro's Pedro's influence in him well, as he was a player just happy and as a person. Well, he was actually Chilean at the club. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Exactly. No, I, 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 t- I disagree with you about the talented, most talented player should be the captain. I think you, I, I'm not saying it should be. I'm just I, saying oh, it's some, it, it seems like some, a, yeah, that's I, well, some people's okay. philosophy. Okay, I disagree with that because I think that person is going to be a leader no matter what. Why not put the captain on somebody that actually leads and is willing to lead, and that way you have two guys who are going to be the, the four. I, I I've always disagreed with that. The, Talent player just stick, a, uh, stick the armband on him. And not only that, but it's the club and and the gaffer who should be the one who's who are and who are picking who their club captain is going to be, and they should be able to dictate what type of captain that they want to have. So if if and, and I I think that the club would like from statements that that Leonard Duzzi has made and and but he's uh, not picking the captain. Uh, is he or is or isn't he? I, I think he, the, should, he shouldn't be. The word before was he didn't want David Oosted as captain because of the way that David shouted at players and he didn't think that set a good example. Well, I think we're going into a different conversation. We, are. That we can have... The, of, of the, but, of the, to tie up the Pedro Morales captain thing, I, all I'll say is that, that um, I do think that the club, I think Robinson likely as well, wants someone with with a little bit more... Pardon the Canadian term, but a little more grit and a, and a little more uh, to be a little more vocal and to stand up and be counted um, both both on the pitch and 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 in the dressing room when 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 something is needed. And, and, and it's clear it's clear by his some of his post game uh, comments after a few games where he was saying leadership is a big problem in this club. 
And he said that. Who? After, Robo. After some a couple post-game interviews. So it's clear that he was kind of saying that, that we need these okay, to be changed. Fair enough. That. that was 2016. Yeah. So it's look also what, something we're going to ask Robo about. So when you look at the, when the decision was made, I think it was... Like, I think having Pedro as captain was good for those first two years. Like, I, I, I think that he, the reason he was selected was he was a, he was a, he was the kind of person that the, the culture of the dressing room was going to be shaped around in terms of personality, background, all those kinds of skill, all those kinds of things. And so I think it worked really well when we were performing okay. And you look at this year where we did not perform well, where the in, for Pedro as an individual, the injuries or the hampering, the way he was hampered and not being able to perform as well, I think made our results not not go as well. You saw all that kind of, uh, not implode, but you saw you kind of all kind of de- degrade, right? Last thing we'll say on Pedro is looking at his stats from his three seasons, this was actually his most accurate season. It was his best season for shooting, 67% shooting accuracy. Year one was 49, year two was 47 because he would just shoot from anywhere and they were nowhere on target. His passing accuracy was also the best at 83%, but he contributed nine goals, he had 10 in year one, three goals that weren't penalties in each year. So it's like year one he had seven penalties, year two he had two penalties, and then this past season he had six penalties. Yeah, again, for me, penalties, they're goals, right? Like yeah. They're goals, but anyone can but really it's, put it away. I'll say, I'll can, say one can, thing. Can they, though? Can they, though? Well, we, maybe, maybe not if you're just in Maybe you win a Voyager's Cup a, a year earlier, so if, if, that's, if that's the case. True. So, moving on from Pedro, but keeping with the captaincy thing. Obviously, we don't know exactly who's coming in yet, and there could be like a really senior guy that comes in, or a new number 10 to replace him. That may be the automatic captain or the Atiba, choice for the when captain. they bring back Atiba. Say, <laughs> oh, I thought you meant Harris for a second. No. <laughs> you just signed a dollar. Yeah, yeah. Good, good for Atiba. Looking at who we've got there just now, we've obviously got David Edgar, who's we don't know how long he's going to miss after his hit and run accident, which was absolutely shocking. Yeah, it's just crazy that that even happened. You've got him. You've got Usted. You've got Harvey. Bolanius, I don't know if he's maybe somebody that would even want to be the captain. Be similar in style to, to Pedro, I think, if you chose him. Yeah. Who would be your choice right now from the players that we have signed to be the captain, just quickly? If if it's if he starts playing again like twenty fifteen, I say Kendall Waston. If he's if he's committed, he's, he's ready to go. I, and he'll miss I could, a lot of games. I, I could see that yeah. only in the way that I could see them them challenging him. Yeah. To say, listen, you are a le- you are. He's the already leader. vocal. He's vocal right? enough. Yeah. Yeah, and he's. I, I think the club likes having someone who is a uh, you know a large a big persona, someone they can put on match day guides yeah. to be the club captain. I could see Robbo challenging Waston and saying, "I need you." You are our leader. Yeah. Here's the the armband to prove it, and I want to challenge you to stop the reckless tackles and the and and you know he's never going to get away from being suspended. He he's both unfairly targeted and quite justfully. He's he he he's suspended um, with good reason. Yeah. quite frequently. Yeah. So he he needs to clean some of that up, and part of that is just who he is, and he's gonna soak up yellow cards and get suspensions that way. That's okay, but he's got to clean up some of the other stuff. Maybe maybe it'll fix his discipline if he's got the captain. And that's the thing. Maybe they use it as a way to challenge him, and I could see it. I don't know if it would be my first choice, but I could see them. The only issue I would have with it is uh, like he's really performing well at the world stage, 
and he's probably garnering garnering some interest from mm-hmm. Europe. And how long does he stay? It could he even gone this January transfer window? There's a possibility that like he had a good he, season. He, no, I no, think, that the, I don't the, think. with the club, he's not having a good season, but he's having really good yeah. season with Costa Rica. Yeah. And Costa Rica's doing really well, and that and with his new beard color and everything, like that yeah. he's gonna he's gonna get a lot of attention. Gram, Grandpa Waston, yeah, 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 exactly. Same, so, same as Pedro's new. Yeah. I, I think he's done it so that the referees don't recognize him. Or maybe they say, "Oh, he's a senior. He's not gonna do anything." No, but I I do. You talk about that. I wonder how much not having or how serious David Edgar's. Or not serious, yeah. David Edgar's injury might play in and all those yeah. kind of like I mean, for discussions me, and options. I thought he was going to be the, the automatic choice for captain. He's got to be the favorite. Yeah, yeah. He, he's like when you speak to him, he is a leader, and it's like he's been around the game. He's not afraid to to call out his teammates. He takes responsibility and, yeah. for his own actions too. Now, obviously, we don't know what Pedro was like in the locker room behind closed doors. Maybe he did stand up and like have a go at people. You just don't see it because he always seemed quite mild mannered. The most aggressive I saw him was that little spat he had with Usted at the end of the season. And you wonder where is that passion maybe behind closed doors that you, you don't see. Clearly it isn't, I don't think, otherwise that whole situation wouldn't even have happened. But Edgar, when you talk to him, and Rob was kind of hinted that he brought him in to kind of mix up the locker room in the summer. When you're not playing well yourself, it's maybe hard to call out the other players. And I think that's maybe where he fell down a little bit to start with. But he was just finding his groove, and then he finds his groove, and then the season ends. The only problem that I see that this would... I, I think David Edgar would be a good choice. He's, you know, he's Canadian. He's got lots of experience. He does seem to have the the type of personality that you would want as a as a captain. What what worries me, and, and I don't think that there's a huge issue skill-wise for him, but I, I do think that there's going to be... Because he did, he, he he struggled early, but he came on well towards the end of the year. I'd have, I would have no problem marking him down as one of my starting center backs. But you still have two MLS everyday starters in Tim Parker and and Kendall Waston, and you know that they're not going to bench Waston. Like he, like like you say, Steve. There's too many opportunities for him to maybe be sold on to another club if if someone decides that they like his Costa Rica. Um, play so h- how are they going to address that Cause, and I think Tim Parker is at the point in his career where he he has shown it that that he's ready to play in the MLS yeah. every day now I he wants to be a star I think Tim Parker will be a captain soon like in the like three or four years he could be the captain so how, do, he's good how does the that. club if the club wants to say that David Edgar is my is my club captain he's he's going in the starting lineup every game then yeah. you can't have your club captain sitting on the bench yeah and it's him and Waston then, then it's got to be him and Waston which means t- so there is a bit of a knock on effect there of naming him club captain with you almost are saying that we got to move Tim Parker Mm-hmm. Um, because his value is high right now, he, the Americans love him. Yeah, and, and I think it, I think it would be a shame because I, I I think that probably over the course of the next three or four years, Tim Parker will probably be the best center back of the three of them. I'd yeah. like to keep Tim Parker one more year, even if he started. It's, yeah, uh, because and, then you never know what's happening with Waston. It's whether he wants to stay. Yeah, because the, there were some murmurs that he wants to be a starter. They Everybody did give him a new contract. Yeah, but he, he's great trade bait. Yeah. He deserves he to be a starter bait. though yeah. too. It's different. It's different than players that that haven't shown that they. 
he like not not one or three or five or seven games. Like he he played an entire season where he deserved it, and even this season, yeah. I I thought when he played, he was never the worst defensive player that we had in a mm. team in a, on a team where we had some pretty abysmal uh, days he did, defending, he, he and did he did his, okay. When he did as well a job to protect them from that right side too. He did a pretty good job from that side. Uh, Zach, who's your choice for captain if you had a choice? Yeah, I mean it's hard to it's hard to look past people like. Um, David Osted, David Edgar, and Kendall Waston. Uh, you know the comment you made before about uh, people in, in, in different places expressing their concerns about David uh, Osted are, are probably them doing things that they say they wouldn't do. But um, and so that should to me be ignored. My biggest concern with with, with David Osted is uh, I, I I'm one of those people who personally doesn't like a goalkeeper being being your captain. Yeah, uh, I, I, I like a player. defender. But yeah. not necessarily a goalkeeper. Yeah, not not. I prefer not a goalkeeper. You got him running all over the pitch to talk to the referee and all that kind of stuff. He does that anyway. But but what, <laughs> like this is this is a weird thing too because like there's nothing written in the laws of the game that allow for a for a captain to go and speak. I, I mean, w- 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 if they gave ousted the armband w- and they're still playing Edgar, he can still Edgar can still mm-hmm. go and talk to the oh, ref yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. There's no so the whole the and I'm. I don't actually disagree with you that I don't like necessarily that, but I don't know why I don't like it because it doesn't make any sense. Any player can go up and argue with any of the refs if they want to, which I think is stupid and is one of the reasons why the Whitecaps have gotten into the trouble that they have is because they have they're notorious as a team who's a bit chippy, uh, a bit reckless, and everybody on the club, including its coach, is is notorious around the league for berating the officials at all times, and that's never has that have you ever seen a ref? back down because a, a player or a coach is going after him. No. So I think that's a little bit of a, a um, it, 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 that, that's kind of a moot point. It, it, whether or not your keeper is the, carries the armband. Yeah. I just, I don't like, I, I, I could, Kendall Watson, I could, I could see doing it and doing fine. And I, and honestly, I, I agree with you guys who, when you said that this maybe will help him elevate his game in such a way that maybe he avoids some of those more, uh, Unfortunate decisions that have led to suspensions. Uh, I also did Dave did David Edgar. I think um, yeah, he's already like the moment he came in, he was like an, like a captain on the pitch. There's stories of him, you know, uh, expressing himself of strongly to his teammates on the field uh, when they're not performing well. That have are, good. That's how it should are, be. Are pretty mm. awesome. Um, but uh, so yeah, I could see any of the three of those. For me, the you, you talk about you know how does Maybe choosing one of the center backs as a, a captain impact what our, our tandem will look like at the back, assuming we stay with a, a back four. Um, is is you also we also didn't and maybe we'll talk about this later, but is, is what is Christian Dean's role this year in terms of is he yeah. going to be healthy enough and is he going to be that player that he was in preseason last year where it's like how do we keep this guy out of the starting lineup? Yeah, I mean so many questions, but I mean. Centre-backs is definitely an area of the field that there's not going to be any new additions. We've got five with Cole Seiler, and as long as no one goes anywhere, that's how it's going to stay. Elsewhere on the defence, though, we have brought in our, our only kind of new signing of the season so far, Shannon Williams from yeah. Houston. He replaces uh, Fraser Aaron and, uh, and Jordan, Jordan Smith, Smith, who are officially out. And I, it kind of came out of the blue, really. It, it was a name I wouldn't have thought of. It's a guy that I don't really know too much about. I didn't really pay that much attention to him when he played for Houston. Giles Barnes is, is quite high on him, and 
Giles Barnes has been in Houston recently training with the likes of Will Bruin and Shane and Williams and a few of the other Houston guys just keeping fit over the, over the winter. What, what's your thought on Williams? How much do you know about him? Do you think he is going to be the starting right back and is he going to be the answer to what was a disastrous position last year? I think first off, like yeah, we knew early last year or halfway through last year that Jordan Smith wasn't coming back. His loan was not going to be renewed. Frazier aired. Yeah, he loves Rangers. And yeah. He really wants to be at Rangers. I think you've written yeah, about that and talked about that. And, and he's not going to get back in the team. So yeah, which so we'll see what happens with. But with I think Frazier. he wants to be just basically closer. Yeah, maybe he gets thrown down to a Scottish team. Yeah, he can closer. play for another team and go and watch them. Yeah, and, and exactly. That's probably what he's going to end up doing. And we wish them all the best. And those who are supporters yeah. of the Canadian national team, those who are no, supporters, he stays with Rangers. No, those who support the Canadian national team obviously want to see him do well because they like to see him contribute in, in, to that that side as well. Yeah, Williams is a, I think, a, a, yeah, interesting, interesting choice. It'll maybe um, it'll fulfill the. We'll have that old West Knight feel of someone who can throw the ball into the box on yeah. on, on yeah. throw-ins in the final third. That's so about the only thing I know of that he has yeah. a long throw. And he, a different he, kind he, of weapon that we haven't had for a and while. And he attacks in the box, too. He's been in the box on set pieces, uh, and he has scored. the goals he scored is usually in that those positions. It is, it is a bit of an uninspiring signing yeah. um but maybe that's which, what you need which is and that's just it and part of he's a solid right back i'm gonna kind of circle around here and go back to the center back conversation and that i i kind of wish that we were in this situation and had fraser again next year uh because i would have loved to see like a, a five three two or, a, or yeah a, and then you can have your three center backs on you're not worried about a guy like Fraser on one side. Harvey's pretty good uh, offensively. De Jong is more of a wing back than he is a, a you know, or a, w- a winger than he is a, a left back. So it actually would have worked really well if Brett, you had. Brett had Levi's would have been played Le- fine. Exactly, he yeah. would would have been great as a wing back, and and it would have lined up perfectly. Unfortunately, it looks with a signing like Williams, it kind of looks like m- maybe unless they're just looking for a bit of flexibility. Um, that they're they're looking for a proper you know right back. It is a bit uninspiring, but like you say, th- that might be what we need. And and if Robinson, as he should be, is looking to the the midfield as to where he wants to have his his major uh, changes this year, uh, and possibly with a new striker up front or something like that, then then yeah, maybe you just want a pretty affordable domestic, you know, ho hum. Right back to to uh, kind of bet in the rest of your of your backline. I, I personally think like nobody was uh, celebrating when Stephen Bateshore was traded for. Oh, I don't think that's true. There's a lot no, of a lot no. of people. I know. I know. Yeah. The people who knew MLS knew they were there, but there was no no massive. Oh my God, look at this signing. Well, we I uh, I think even on the podcast we were pretty positive yeah, about Bateshore, yeah. and we were because I remember we were discussing how disappointed we were. That he he didn't provide as much attacking as, as we, we thought he would yeah. have because he was so good in in San Jose, but but I but, but what I'm trying to say is like the, he he wasn't a like a, a guy that flies all over the place. He's not a superstar. Shane Williams can get up the field. He's athletic enough. He's not going to provide everything, but he can do a, a little bit of mm-hmm. everything, Jay, and he won't hurt you defensively. Jay used the word uninspiring, but really, what did you expect? Like we we weren't gonna go and sign another Lee yeah. Young Pyo, right? We weren't gonna go spend a lot of money at the right back position. Yeah. Like that, that's uh, why it, they traded me. For me, the bigger thing that I'm more interested in is who will be our backup right back. 
Because for Tim's sake, I hope it's not Tim Parker. I agree. I hope there's yeah. someone. And I think that's that's the right approach to take. Is that is that you have a guy who you know will be able to contribute, even if it's not even if he's not the best right back in the league, as long as he'll be okay, and then go after a younger guy who uh, that that maybe can can develop over the course of with some different tools, maybe more attacking ability or something like that. To play, you know, as your backup right back, and 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 push Williams to to be a good everyday uh, MLS right back. And I know we talked about this before we started recording, or whatever, and it's part of a bigger development discussion. But uh, to me, ideally, Caden Chung continues to develop. I know there was ups and downs last year, or there were some yeah. pros and cons to the season last He's year. He's at but least a year away from yeah. even. Looking at, at the yeah, MLS, yeah, I think, but um, he's got promise. I, I agree. I would love, I would love for that situation to come to fruition and, and us have a residency guy to, to come in and, and push, a la Levis, at, you know, at at uh, left back. Uh, but I, I, I don't think, think I, it's possible. Personally, if you look at the right backup right back spot right now, I, I like the draft. Maybe if they're going to find somebody. There's a kid from Germany actually, Ausgezeichnet, uh, uh, from Louisville. Uh, plays yeah. at Louisville, Tim Kubel, and he can be available at the wherever the Whitecaps are picking at seven or eight or whatever. I mean, that would make sense. K- Caden's not trained ready. by Dortmund, which yeah. will upset yeah. you, but no, still, no. be fine. Yeah, I mean, Caden's not ready. He's a, as Jay says, he's at least a year away. He got burned a couple of times. Other teams targeted him a lot in USL. On the whole, though, he did stand up to it. But there were games where. He struggled to get back. He struggled on the defensive side. Yeah, and he's got to learn ho- that. But hopefully he learns from that. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, it's, hopefully it's good for him that they're targeting the, him. The best problem with Caden, though, is he's lightweight. Yeah, he's and quite I can't, small. I don't know how he's, but he's lightweight, possibly small. He's only 16 or 17. Yeah. Yeah, okay. He's yeah. only 16, 17. He's still yeah, yeah, 17. Develop. Can you really put on muscles like that? With Jay, 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 Jay and I could help him with that. <laughs> the, the USL is the perfect spot for him yeah. right now. He's playing against men much bigger than him. He's playing, you know... At a, at a level where he can he can get challenged and get burned, but also um, uh, uh, be a positive influence on that team, and I think that's the perfect spot for my whole. Most that most team. people that train athletes, they don't want younger people lifting weights at seventeen or sixteen or whatever. They want them when they get to uh, eighteen, nineteen. That's when they want them to start lifting weights. So I don't see him putting on weight until that time, anyways. Just before we speak to Robo, we covered. Like some areas that that need to be improved. Right back was obviously one of them. Striker, number 10 with Pedro going. There's been some names thrown about. I was told that, not linked to the Whitecaps, but there's an Argentine guy at River Plate that is wanting to come to MLS at number 10. There's a number 10 at Las Palmas and La Liga that's wanting to come to MLS. Have to wonder whether they might be on on Robo's radar. There's MLS site reported a defensive mid, David Guzman, who has also been you said linked to Portland. Uh, I think he's been closely. There's been a few reports that directly that he is signing with um, Portland. Portland. Maybe he's on the the Vancouver's negotiation list in Portland. Is that to replace Char or to play next to him? I I I believe to play next to him uh, because they've historically they played either uh, you know. Jewsbury, or who's retired now, or um, Zamansky has has yeah. played beside him. So they've usually been playing a second, uh, a second. So that's probably where he's going. That makes a bit of sense there too. The the only persistent Whitecap rumor has been Romo Kyoto coming back. Huh. I say coming back because just because he played here and was in hospital here, <laughs> but coming to Vancouver 
some folks said he might come as a DP, which to me would be that, that's too crazy much. No. To, yeah. to bring him in as a DP. It would, but his uh, performance in the Olympics, I think, really... Like I would say, in, he the was, war, in, the, in the terms of his value in the, I would say he's Bologna's money if he if he gets anything. Bologna, around Bologna, what Bologna I, I, I don't hope he's a DP, yeah. but I. But well, would you like to see him here? And if he is here, would you like to see him as the main striker or the second striker? I think second striker. Uh, it has right. to be. Yeah, uh, he, I'm he, hoping. <laughs> the uh, and it doesn't. It, if you, if you sign Kyoto, we have. Um, we were we would you'd have to assume. That that Barnes or Kudo or both are gone for sure. Well, Barnes is the biggie with this money, right? And and you think Barnes is probably likely to leave, but even Kudo, you might assume is might also be leaving. Yeah. You know, Hurtado's staying. That makes sense as a as your you know fourth you know striker say. Should be three. Th- third or fourth. Striker, he should be sure. three. Uh, like we said before in a previous podcast, if he's not three, then he should be gone. Fine. Either, either oh, way. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. The, you. Sorry the, to interrupt. No, I agree with you. I, I, I've come around a little bit on Hurtado. I think towards the end of last year, he proved he can be a, a very useful yeah. part of an MLS team. Where even before, I was the first guy saying, "You got to get rid of him. Like he's he's terrible even as a fourth. Yeah. I think he he proved that he could hold up the ball. He could he no. could defend from the front a little better than he has before. He's a confidence player as well. Like when he starts he, to get a few goals, you yeah. say that, but he's never happened. This is no. never. We, he's, well, had, he's had he's, he's had one. Spells. No, no. Even when he's when he's contributing and he's setting up goals, or he's doing, he still plays well when he has. He still builds that confidence yeah. when he's. Contributing. And he did get a few goals towards the end of the season once he finally got his first one. Like I, I have no problem with him being number three. I want the Whitecaps to say he's number three and then keep him there otherwise get rid of him and, and bring somebody I don't want him to be number four and just sit there as number four I want them to bring somebody else I don't think else. he wants either no exactly the, the reality is is there still has to be at least two players who are better than than, than Hurtado yeah. who are playing in front of him and and I, I think Kyoto would be one of those players yeah. he could be your number two but I don't think he could be your number one striker um, I, I, don't, I don't think he's used as a either a lone striker or the, the primary striker at Olympia, how I mean, how how the, the, talking about strikers? How easy is it going to be to? Because uh, if they bring in strikers, they're going to have to unload Giles Barnes and possibly Kudo. Well, there's rumors, how, and the the latest rumor from a Houston newspaper was that there's two European clubs made advances to Vancouver for Barnes. No, well, you I have think, to think Blackburn Rovers. That rumor yeah. with Owen Coyle. Yeah, I didn't even think Owen Coyle was going to be there by the time the transfer <laughs> window came, but. He's kind of picked things up a little bit, but still, you never know. I don't think I don't think moving Giles Barnes will be a problem. Okay, how about Kudo? Kudo, what do you think? Well, of Kudo? That's the big question, right? Yeah. Is and I I don't doubt that if he chose that, um, I, he you know he's been back in Japan for the soft season. I, I think that if he goes anywhere, he'll be he'll be probably sent back to to. I, I, I think, think someone. He, would I think he's your next yeah. year. I think he's your. So next he'd year. probably be number three then. But you're, now, now, so if you if you're saying you're bringing in Kyoto and he's probably going to be in the two hundred to three hundred and fifty thousand dollar range for just, and I don't know if he necessarily deserves that coming from, uh, from from the Hon- the Honduran league is not great. Olympia is a decent club, 
But I, he scored, I'm just looking it up now, he scored 36 goals in the last 78 games since 2014 That's with Olympia. pretty good rate. Amazing That's scoring really rate. <laughs> against, in a league where there's not particularly good defending. Yeah. Uh, but, Hurta- but, but, Hurtado could score 30 in that league. So, so are, are there better goals then? I don't know. But, but, <laughs> yeah. but the thing is, is the whole thing about what he was talking about, his international play, his impressive yeah. play in there, yeah. that's what get people... His goal right, in the Olympics. People, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Because nobody be, watches that many Honduran games in order to find out how good He's going to be paid more based on potential, yeah. on the hope that he develops, that he can translate that into a higher league. I, I don't know if that's necessarily possible. That's what we were hoping for with yeah. Kudo. Yeah. It didn't seem to work out. So if you're now spending between Kudo and Kyoto um, around, let's let's say, 600 grand on your number two and number three strikers, that's a really poor um, yeah. a, a contract decisions for what essentially is backup players. Now that I know what his strike rate is, if he was a DP, maybe I wouldn't be too upset. This is, this is in the Honduran... Soccer league, though, like yeah. if you, I've watched some of goals his YouTube goals. stuff. Fair enough, but if you, I've watched some of his his YouTube stuff, and some of the defending is really, really bad. And there's bad defending in MLS too. Like, yeah. but but the Whitecaps have not he's shown for the Whitecaps. So. But the Whitecaps have not shown that they've been they've been able to create um, advantageous situations for their strikers. Why do we think Kyoto would be any different than True. Kudo? Or because that's kind of the player Kudo is. So that's some of our thoughts as to how the off season has played out so far. Some rumours about what's going to happen. Let's hear a little bit more concrete stuff now with our fourth annual chat with Carl Robinson. End of season chat. He's over in the UK at the moment. Just took in Man City Arsenal today, and he's back with his family in Wales for a bit. So. Got him on the phone now, so let's hear from Whitecaps head coach Carl Robinson. Yo, Carl Robinson, you're back again. If you do this again, pretty soon we'll be friends. You're the newest member of my fully sick faction. Got your rhymes locked, loaded, ready for action. So I guess first thing to to kind of ask you is, season's wrapped up now. It's kind of about six weeks old. What's your your overriding thought of of how the season played out? Well, you know, whenever you review a season, you you always try and look for the positives, and there were plenty of positives. You know, obviously, we qualifying for the Champions League. It was a great achievement. It was a first for us. Um, winning the Cascadia Cup, albeit on the last game of the season, that was good. You know, but with all the positives, there was also some negatives, and, you know, the negatives for me were... Obviously, we missed the playoffs. Uh, we didn't deserve to get in the playoffs based upon uh, not being consistent enough uh, in the latter part of the se- latter part of the season. You know, which two and a half wins, well, three wins away from the playoffs. So we know we got to improve that. And obviously, the, the heartbreaking loss with the Amway Canadian Championship. So you know, on one hand, you look at it and you think, right, okay, we're not too far away because if we would have tr- transferred three of them results into wins, which we quite easily could have based upon giving away stupid goals in the last few minutes and then held on for another 30 seconds in the Amway, then everyone would have been, everyone would have been talking about, you know, we've had a fantastic season. So, you know, I'm not naive enough to think we've had a fantastic season. We need to improve individually. Players didn't play um, to their levels uh, compared to the previous year, but you know, for the, the two years prior, they had been absolutely excellent. So, 
there was a, there was always going to be an expected dip. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of them dipped at the same time. So my job, my coach's job next year is to, one, freshen it up, which we've done, uh, and two, to try and get those uh, key players that were uh, have performed very, very well for us back back up to speed as quick as we can. I mean, this was your your first season of any adversity, really, as a manager. What did you learn from that, and what has it done that's going to make you a better manager going forward? I think in any walk of life, you've got to deal with adversity, and you know, especially in football. Every manager that I spoke to, not just in MLS but in England, has has gone through it. And you know, the feedback I've got from them is it's important that you don't change who you are. Don't change your characteristics and don't change your beliefs. And, and I won't, and I didn't. Um, so I learned a lot, you know, not just about myself and my coaches, but also about the club and also about the, the players I have. And that's why come the end of the season, I thought, you know, decisions needed to be made for the benefit of the, the, the group moving forward. So, you know, self-reflection is, is a very, very big part in football. And if you're able to do it, and accept responsibility. The responsibility is on me. I'm the manager of the football club, and, you know, us not getting results. Yeah, we can break it down into the players have got to perform, and, you know, but it's hard sometimes because you can't legislate for someone sleeping on a corner and not marking a player. You can't legislate for a centre-forward missing a one-on-one opportunity or, or the referee making a bad decision, but that's, I'm afraid that's the, the world that we live in. Uh, and you have to deal with it, and usually someone has to take responsibility, and I'm willing to do that for last year. That was me. If you if you were going to pinpoint then some things that you feel that you yourself could have done better, what would you say? You know, I think when we went through a run, we had we had five very difficult away games, uh, if I'm correct, and it was we were away in Trinidad, uh, which we managed to get a result. Um, and then we had Dallas away, Colorado away, Houston away, and I believe it was LA away. There were four, four very, very difficult games, and you know we, we probably we went. To, I remember going to Dallas. I think was the first game, uh, and trying to you know not get beat. And then after going to Houston and following up with a with a drab performance, really, uh, again with probably the same personnel. What I should have done with four away games is I probably should have totally change the team uh, and it's easy said after the event um, but there wasn't enough energy in those four away games having said that the four away games come at a very very difficult time because if you split the four away games up throughout the nine months of the season and you lose those four games no one says nothing because they are difficult away games that factored in with the home home loss to New England when we dominated the game, the goal given away in the last minute against Colorado um, at 2-2, I think it was three days literally after the Canadian uh, Amway Canadian Championship, uh, and probably Seattle at home as well when I thought we dominated the game. So, you know, the four, those four away games coupled in with three or four, including the Montreal first game of the season, three or four key home games, makes me believe we're not that far away based upon little minor adjustments and a little bit of tidy up in certain areas of the field. So that's what we'll focus on next year. Now, you started the season, you had your three DPs, you had Octavio, Pedro, Matty. 
there is a kind of feeling amongst a number of the fan base that a lot of those guys were maybe getting played when maybe weren't playing well and they maybe shouldn't have been in the team. Do you feel there's a a pressure on you when you've got designated players to play them in the team? I think most managers will say to you, you know, you are judged on your designated players, you know, and uh, Matty, Pedro and Octavio, in the previous year, obviously Pedro had a few injuries and only played a certain amount of games, but Matty was arguably our best player last year with Kendall and uh, David Ooster and Octavio, you know, for the first four months of the season was absolutely excellent and then lost his way a little bit at the end of the season. So coming into this new year, uh, new season, it was, you know, you're always hoping that they can carry on the form uh, from the previous year. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And at times, you know, throughout the season, I did make decisions. The best thing I did was was leave Matthias Laber out against Kansas City away from home. You know, because he, since that game, he responded fantastically well. But, you know, maybe I could have done that a little bit earlier. Uh, we talk about hindsight. Same with Pedro, obviously losing Octavio in July. June, July, go, when he go, decides to go back home to Colo Colo, then obviously, you know, that, that was a decision taken out of our hands because we didn't need to leave him out. So I think all managers will get judged on it. So like looking at Pedro, he, Pedro's moved on now. The decision, again, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but making him captain, do you think that was the, the best decision? Or, like, once you made him captain, obviously you couldn't really take it away from him, but do you feel that you maybe should have gone with a stronger choice? No, not at all. I think it was the right decision uh, based at the right time. Uh, I think Pedro done a wonderful job uh, being the captain. When you're captain, you're, you're always open for criticism. And, um, you know, there's, there's a numerous, there's a number of captains. You know, there's a captain that shouts and rants and raves. There's a captain that doesn't, who leads by example. Uh, and there's quite, uh, there's captains that, you know, lead by their play. And, and Pedro was a captain that led by his play. And the way he was, you know, people didn't see his day-to-day stuff that he did with the rest of the group. Um, you know, the, th- the vocal side of it, Pedro didn't have in his game. But, you know, I knew that leading up to making, making him captain and, and sticking by that decision. So having said that, you know, the other players that, you know, are candidates or were captains at certain times, David Usted, he's got a lot of strong qualities, but, you know, there's, there's um, you know, parts of his game that obviously is missing and, and Kendall Waston the same. You know, Kendall Waston, when he was captain, had a more disciplined composure about him, which... You know, from a from a manager's point of view, you look at it and think, well, that's excellent that he's able to play like that as captain three or four times. Why can't he play like that when he's not captain? Because being the captain should not change your performance. So there's a number of things that, you know, I always look into and, and review. Um, but I've got no problems with Pedro being the captain for the football club for three years while he was here. Of course, you lost another DP in the summer when Octavio moved on. And then, like what we were just talking about there, like there wasn't a replacement brought in. You look at, say, Seattle that, that brought in Ladero and the difference that he made. You, you tried to bring in Fabian Spindola, and obviously that didn't really go very well. But did, <laughs> yeah. do, do, do you wish you had managed to keep hold of him or at least brought somebody else in? Um, for, from a selfish point of view, I, I, you know, Octavio was hitting form at that time. You know, after a, a slowish start, he managed to score three goals, I believe, in four games. But, 
in the early part of the season, I spoke to Octavio and we had a, a very open and honest conversation and, you know, a lot of time for the kid. I really have. And uh, he told me what he felt. And, you know, do you want to keep a player that doesn't really want to be here or do you want to try and slog a dead horse? And, you know, he'd made his mind up that it was right for him to move and we had to try and get the best deal for us and, and the club. And that's what we did. And, you know, would I, would I like to kept him? Well, of course, because Octavio, if, if we could have had the first six, seven, eight games of the season two years ago, you know, Octavio was unplayable. Uh, I think he's shown now he's gone back, he's more comfortable being back in Chile, and he's scoring goals and playing very well. So, you know, it, it was the right decision. Obviously, there's always one team that might lose out, and us not being able to find a, a replacement to score goals, uh, it was us. But, you know, uh, what we don't regret the decision one bit. The, the whole thing with the, the Spindler, is that just kind of like one of the quirks at MLS that you just can't get deals like that done because you can't speak to the guy beforehand? Yeah, it's, you know, it's a can of worms, isn't it? Because, you know, the reality is in football, everyone knows everyone. And if you want to speak to a you want to speak to a player, you can. But, you know, you follow the rules. Talking about strikers... Do you feel that you had the right strikers for the system that you're wanting to play? Like, do they fit into that system? Or are you needing to look at maybe changing the system? And I, You've always said to me you don't get caught up in formations. But, I mean, are, are you thinking about maybe tinkering, maybe even going five at the back? No, not really. Uh, you know, based upon personnel that we have, and again, uh, I'll reiterate, I don't get caught up in systems because... If you look at the majority of teams in Major League Soccer, they play the system that I've played for three years, the 4-2-3-1. You look at Seattle, they played it. You know, Toronto didn't, um, but they did to start the season. You know, they only changed it based upon personnel with maybe eight or ten games to go. And they were playing a 4-3-3 with a diamond sort of shape formation. So um, Dallas do, Rail Salt Lake do. Portland Timbers do, Columbus Crew do, New England do, so New York Red Bulls do, so a lot of teams do. That's not the reason I play it. The reason I play it is because we try to have put players in, in positions that suit them very well. And, you know, to an extent, we do that when players are playing in form. Unfortunately, we weren't hitting or getting to the levels that we wanted to last year on a regular basis. So then there were slight adjustments, me playing Pedro as an 8 rather than a 10 and bringing Mesquita in. And obviously also the, the wingers then playing up to their level. So, you know, I played 4-4-2 four, four, three or four times. Um, but again, it, it, it's about players. It, it's not and personnel. It's not about systems. If, if I sign two designated player centre-forwards, there's a probably good chance I'm going to play a 4-4-2 because, you you know, you put your players, ideally you want to put, play your designated players. Well, you have to, you want to play your designated players for a reason. So um, systems are based upon personnel, you know, 4-4-2, 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1 are pretty similar just based upon in and out of possession. Well, like looking at, at players possibly coming in, you, you've been on your travels, you were down in Brazil and Argentina. Yeah. How, how productive was that for you? It was excellent. You know, it was an excellent um, trip, 12-day trip, based upon seeing the standards of players. You know, there, there's some exceptional young players there. Obviously, they're, they're worth a lot of money. Uh, and there's some exceptional older, talented players. And, 
You know, the market is, is strong uh, and the market is expensive. That's the problem you have. So you're trying to find deals um, within, the, within the country. And sometimes, you know, if, if you've got a player that's playing regular and a player that's playing on form and scoring lots of goals, then you have to pay more money for him. Or you go for a player that's not in the team that's not playing well, um, but then the consensus is, well, why are you signing a player that's not playing regular? Well, unfortunately, you know, we, we, don't, we haven't got millions to spend, so we, we have to try and um, be productive with our recruitment, and we are. You know, the, the players that we've brought in up to date, you know, predominantly have been very successful, um, the ones that we've spent money on. So, you know, there are targets, there are obviously boundaries which we have, um, you know, and it's all, all based upon uh, budgets. Um, but we'll try and find the best player suited, and you know, we won't we won't forget about looking inside the league as well, because I think there's a number of teams that have shown inside the league. If you get core players inside, then um, you know they're able to deal with a little bit of, of adversity during the season. So we'll look inside. You know, we'll we'll look to try and add one or two from outside the league, but. You know, we uh, we won't be spending millions and millions like uh, Seattle did on Ladero. Would you see yourself though adding, like filling the two DP spots? Well, yeah, you know, you're always trying to make your squad stronger. Um, so, you know, there's conversations that happen on a on a daily basis with myself, Greg, Bobby, and our ownership, and we're looking to strengthen the squad without actually putting blocks in the pathways of our younger players. You know, we're going to go young. We will go young next year. We've got a young nucleus of, as I mentioned before, you know, Tim Parker, Christian Dean. We've got Matthias Laber. We've got Russell Tiber. We've got Tachera. We've got Kakuta. We've got Eric Tada. We're bringing in Carl Gregg. We're bringing in, obviously, Spencer Ritchie. So we've got a really good group of young players. Uh, we will continue to build and grow with them. Uh, and we've got to get the right senior players in around them because obviously we've lost uh, Pedro, we've lost Blas Perez, um, you know we've made uh, two of our two of the loans have ended in Jordan Smith and, and Fraser Aid and there might be one or two more moves on the way as well so it, it's important you get the right balance but we won't go away from our younger players, the younger players will make up you know a, a lot of our roster next year as well. Look, looking at the players that's available like there's a lot of free agents available at the moment yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure you've not been able to convince Robbie Keane to come, but is, is there any other names on that list that, obviously you're not going to tell me their names, but are there players on that list that's interesting you just now? Uh, yeah, I've spoke to a number of out-of-contract players um, after I, after the, it's allowed me to, after the MLS Cup final, obviously you're allowed to obviously then speak to them, so I have spoke to a number of them, and we've had some productive conversations. You know, these players individually have got to make their own decisions. Uh, and there are a number of factors that go into it because the free agents are obviously older, older guys, older players who, who have families, who have to make decisions based upon families, but also based upon money. You know, if they're going to sample the free agency market, it's for a reason. It's either the, the current club doesn't want to keep them or they feel they can get more money uh, elsewhere at another club. And, you know, I've been the victim of losing a, a player. Um, and obviously there's an advantage of trying to gain players. So I've spoke to a number of them. You know, we won't overpay. That's, that's important to know because that goes against what we do. Um, but we'll, we will try and obviously tempt one or two of them to, to join our squad. 
And I, I would take it Robbie Keane's not one of those guys. Well, I think everyone, everyone talks about Robbie because of the relationship I have with him, and I've known him for years. You know, Robbie is a is a free agent. We know he's a fantastic footballer. We know he's um, arguably the best designated player this league has ever seen. So, um, you know, there is is he interesting? Of course he is. You know, but obviously Robbie uh, uh, was on a lot of money. Um, in in LA Galaxy, so you know Robbie and his family will have decisions to make. I know he's got options outside of the league, uh, in some very very weird and wonderful places. Um, so you know Robbie will decide what he wants to do later on the line. But I'm always interested in good players, and Robbie certainly is that. There's always lots of rumours floating about, and like one of the big ones at the moment is Romel Kyoto. Honduras Press have basically said it's a done deal. I know you probably can't confirm anything either way, but I mean, is he a player that you have looked at? Well, obviously, uh, Ramel was here when uh, we played against him. He got injured. We looked after him um, fantastically well. You know, severe injury, and um, the club took him under their wing, and we looked after him. And you know, he is someone I know very well. Um, but I will clarify: we have not signed him, so that'll put that to bed. Okay, that's good to know. Now, looking at the striking department, obviously you've got Giles Barnes at the moment. He's on a big salary. You've got Kudo. You've re-signed Eric Hurtado. Does that leave the the number of striking options just like you're just looking for one new striker or are you looking for maybe a couple? Uh, we're definitely going to bring in one and there might be room to bring in two based upon if we decide to uh, just shake things up a little bit or move move some things about. So... We're, we're definitely looking at one, um, maybe two. Now, you, you can't say too much about this because I don't want to get you fined, but the MLS referees have obviously been dreadful this year. Your bench and obviously the New York bench are kind of highlighted as maybe two of the more vocal benches against the referees. Do, do you feel that that maybe goes against Vancouver a little bit and... Does it maybe then carry on to the players that they see how upset you get with the referees and players like Kendo and stuff, they maybe get a bit upset with them as well? No, not at all. I, listen, I've, it's made me chuckle uh, this season based upon because I got sent off against New York yeah. um, uh, for arguing a throw-in, uh, which was our throw-in, uh, after being warned three times, which I wasn't. So it made me chuckle because... Um, the new rules that come in are there for a reason. And um, someone had mentioned to me that our bench had got highlighted along with New York. Well, if you look at every team or every game in MLS, there's a, there's a hell of a lot worse than our bench. And I not, not once do I swear or criticize referees when I'm on the sideline. Am I emotional? Yeah. Am I demanding? Yeah. But not once do I slaughter them in any shape or form um, but I watch loads of games in MLS and it makes me chuckle when I see that some things don't get pulled up and other things do you know and I'm all for the, the respect factor for referees it needs to be there and I have that for them uh, but it needs to be across the board because that's one thing I you know I was fortunate enough to do the MLS Cup final as well as the MLS uh, conference final Toronto and Montreal, and I said, in both of them games, the referee and the officiating was excellent. And I said to Alan Kelly after the MLS Cup final, it was a joy to watch him because he let it, he let the game go, 
he pulled it up when it needed to be. But that's not how the season was refereed. So, you know, that's something that I, I will speak to Jeff when we're on the subcommittees and other coaches because it's about the players. It's not about the refs. It's about the, it's not about the managers. It's about the players playing. And we've got to make sure that it is about the players because, you know, they're the ones that are in the, in the limelight all the time. You talked about being at the MLS Cup there. With Seattle winning it this year, with Portland winning it last year, how much extra pressure does that put on you now? No, no none. Listen, it's one team wins it out of 20. So, obviously, it, it, it puts pressure on all the other teams to win it, not just us, just because the two neighbours up the road have won it. And it's, it's a, I give Seattle a lot of credit. You know, you could look at it a number of ways. There's no extra pressure on us. You know, we want to obviously try and do as best as we can. There's pressure on all the other teams uh, to try and win MLS. So, you know, I congratulate Seattle. You know, they've done it the hard way, which Portland did it the year before. So it just gives us hope. It shows how strong the Pacific Northwest is. And, and we've got to try and go after our first title, but so have a, a number of other teams. You're over in the UK at the moment. What, what's your plans for over Christmas, the next couple of weeks? Um, obviously, there was some nice rumours about you being linked with Swansea, but I'm sure that's not why you're there. Well, apparently I am, yeah. <laughs> so that's why I keep getting told. But my, my plans in the UK are I'm, I'm going to watch a couple of games. I also penciled in to go and watch two Premier League teams train, uh, speak to their managers. Um, so... There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, and there's two other games that I need to watch in regards to players. So there's a lot of driving around and um, things like things like that. So um, I'll, I'll do that. But there'll be a lot of learning as well, speaking to the managers and um, watching the way uh, they do things on on the training field is an important part of my development as well. That's great. Thank you so much for your time. Um, enjoy the rest of your trip. Have a great Christmas and I'll see you in the new year. Okay, thanks, man. That's great. You too, thanks for your patience. Okay, no worries. Cheers. So I want to say a big, big thanks to Carl Robinson for taking time out to speak to us there. On the road. He, and as you may have gathered, maybe not, depending on how well we've edited that, there was a lot of, the calls dropped a lot. Um, lots, not, of, lots of chop and changing there. Yeah, not a lot of good service uh, in the UK for the mobile network, especially in Wales. That doesn't bode well for our, our trip there in January. So massive mountains. So hopefully you got the gist of most of the answers. Um, it was a bit stop and start. I think we kind of did it in about six six takes there. But, I mean, the the guys were listening to it. What, what was your thoughts there from what Robo said? Well, uh, one of the bigger things was, and he reiterated this really clearly, that he was not in, under any pressure, uh, despite Seattle and Portland winning. And you expect him to say that, cause, but um, still, that I, I think that was pretty... Uh, pretty telling thing that he's just going to play in like a split career it, it, it's probably the, the probably the best thing to do it, for as as the manager it's it's probably the right thing to say you know if if he was 
if he in his heart felt like he was a, a true you know Vancouver or Whitecap you know that he bled you would you would think that he it would really bother him I, I hope it does that that his closest rivals are the ones who are are most successful right now um, and it's it's okay for the manager to not admit that publicly it's okay for him to say no no we're gonna do our business the same way next year uh, you know we have a plan it's we have a good plan we think and that's what we're gonna do no matter what whoever wins the MLS Cup it doesn't matter if it's not us then we have to you know we have to improve to get there that's kind of the correct thing to say um, it's not how I feel and it's I hope it's not how the club feels um, when they're not talking to media I, I hope they all um, are really pissed off that right now they are the also rands of all of our of, of all, all of our closest rivals well this is a front office who once said in, a, in an interview that they don't understand why people get so upset when their team doesn't win but uh, I think in terms of what, what Rabo just said I think that he's being true to himself like he I think he he's confident in what he's doing and he's confident in his methods and in learning lessons from when things don't go well. And so I don't. Th- I, that's why I think he doesn't feel like there's more more added pressure than there already kind of exists in his position. Carl seems like it, generally around all the f- footballing circles around the world, around the MLS, the players, the coaches, people seem to like him. And I think one of the reasons is he answers those kinds of questions. He says, "No, no, I'm happy for you know the." You know, congratulations to Seattle. They deserved it, yada, yada. I would never say that because I'm a petulant little child. But he's not. And I think that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, he's very progressive in that way and that he keep keeping these relationships close, which makes the next one of the, you know, the next questions he answered about um, officiating, I found really funny. Because if you take that same mindset that he has, that I think he has with that, to the officiating, you think he would he would say, guys, we can't control the officiating, so you got to accept whatever they give you. And like the last thing that's going to work is is berating the officials. Now, I, I'm uh, Robo doesn't deserve to be. I, I believe him that he he didn't wasn't warned three times that he you know he a lot of the stuff that's come their way has been been totally unjust, and I agree with that. But but yelling at the refs on the game during the game isn't going to help anything and the only thing that it does is allows players like Kendall Waston to think I can disrespect the officials and do you think that helps Kendall at all when with his reputation with the officials um, I mean it's it's come out before in social media circles that um, white the white caps specifically and specifically a couple players on the white caps have been noted by the disciplinary committee and the the officials the officials all meet and they talk about players that they're targeting um, because they know they're they frequently uh, you know go outside the rules of the game and and they target those players um, and I and Whitecaps players are some of those so do you think that berating the officials or, or, or yelling at them is going to to help in any way I think it's a I wish it's something that they kind of improved upon. I know it's kind of an old school mentality amongst um, coaches and around the world. You see that all the time. I just don't think it's very helpful. I think, though, Jay, that his response is, again, his response to that question is very true to himself. 
he's a very honest fellow. Like, he's a very honest person. And so what he was trying to say is, look, my observation is a lot worse happens and we're being singled out. I agree with and that. So, and so, that, yeah. that, and so that, that's, that's hard to take. But, but the venue to, to air those grievances is not at the 73rd minute of a game when something isn't going your yeah, right way. Yeah, but the thing is, he said, like you said, he gets emotional. And it's hard yeah. to control those emotions when you're on the pitch and you're seeing this stuff happen. When in the back of your mind, like you said, mm-hmm. he sees stuff on TV and he, like he said, sees stuff on TV, things are not happening. If that was happening right now, it would be a different story. Yeah. And yeah. so he gets emotional about that. I mean, there was a lot of things that he, that he said there. I always appreciate his honesty with us he, he's always been since since he took over and he said it's going to be a young team again wouldn't confirm that there was any kind of arrivals imminent and said the Kyoto deal so far is, is not a done deal it is a little worrying that we're going to be really young again he wants to get a couple of veterans around that is that enough to to have a better performance it's all going to depend on who he brings in was interesting as well I thought that he mentioned about they may, he said a couple of times about bringing in two possibly strikers, two possible DP strikers. Yeah, that means people are moving on. Which, if you brought in two DP strikers and you want to bring in a DP number 10, you're looking at buying down Matty Lava. I, I think that that was almost a hypothetical if we brought in... I, I think he was trying to drive home the point that um, if he finds two amazing strikers that and they sign them on DP contracts, well, we'll be playing a 4-4-2. He doesn't care the, the lineup particularly. Yeah. Yeah. He cares about getting quality players on the pitch who can play together. I, I, I It would shock me if they got two DP strikers. I, I think it's pretty evident that there'll be at least one of those will be a midfielder the, the, of the DP positions. Yeah, you'd think it would have to be. The, the other thing as well, he's, he's in the UK at the moment, so he mentioned there's two games he's going to take in where he's actually looking at players. So it may be a couple of players that we have actually heard of that, that are coming in. You would hope if he's bringing in a DP striker, it's going I, to be... I think the striker, will not, not everybody's going to know about him, but people who follow uh, football very closely will know him. Yeah. I always keep thinking a couple of really good UK strikers, which are probably way out of the, the Whitecaps budget. Lee Griffiths at Celtic. He's been in and out of the team there with the way that Dembele's been playing. Bit of a head case. Yeah, he's got a few kids by different women, but hey, that's, who, who doesn't? He'd enjoy the Roxy then. Yeah. He should bring him right along. But he, he knows the way to the back of the net and a few other places as well. Um, Andy Carroll. Comfortable, if could, comfortable if could, in the box, yeah. and you, you, know, you would say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but, but can he stay healthy? That's the problem. Yeah, Andy Carroll at West Ham would be fantastic. Nice, big, tall striker guy. You just, oh, you just want him off West Ham's uh, payroll. I like him. I just <laughs> wish he would be healthy. But anyway, thanks to Carroll for doing that. Let's wrap up this episode of the podcast now. We're going to be back with a few more in quick succession. We're going to have our Christmas special coming out. Then we're going to have a podcast looking at the season past and a little nudge to what's going to happen in the future. So just before we go, just let everyone know where they can find you online this snowy Sunday. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. I'm available at J-A-Y underscore Duke. Uh, On Twitter, I'm at Zachary A.M. and I'm part of a movement called Curva Collective. And what's Curva Collective's Twitter handle? At Curva Collective. You're the leader, right? I'm definitely not the president. The president of the the Honcho. Uh, I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. 
Also the Whitecaps beat reporter for MLSsoccer.com and also for Goal.com. As always, thanks for listening. Stay safe in the snow out there. And until next time, Mon the Caps! Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Mm-hmm.